Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Graham, Scott German. We're going to talk UVA athletics, uh, focusing on basketball and football. The football season wrapped up. Now we're in the silly season with the transfer portal. We'll talk about that on the second part of the show. But first, we'll start with basketball, men's basketball. Um, tomorrow, Syracuse, uh, first ACC game in JPJ for the 2023-2024 season. So ACC opener for Virginia. But we'll start with uh, uh, the game earlier in the week, uh, Virginia and Texas A&M in the ACC-SEC Challenge. And Scott, uh, you know, I'll admit going into that one, after the way Virginia had played last week, uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence. Texas A&M, a team uh, that still leads the nation after the game, they lead the nation still in offensive rebounding. Virginia, that's the one sore spot this season has been defensive rebounding. So, uh, you know, I, you know, Texas A&M coming into the game ranked fourth in the nation in uh, offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I I did not expect to see what we saw, the 59-47 win for Virginia in that one. Yeah, and, you know, I wrote a <clears throat> story about if you did a quick glance at the stat sheets without looking at the score, you might have thought that game wouldn't wasn't going to turn out like it didn't turn out like it actually did because Texas A&M kind of did what they were supposed to do against us. Um, but we took care of the ball, uh, limit turn limited turnovers and they didn't. And as their coach said before the game, uh, coach Williams is because of the tempo, uh, one turnover is not one turnover. One turnover is equivalent to four. So if tech, uh, the Aggies had 16. So I guess that's, Quick math, that's equivalent to 64 in a in a fast-paced game. And no, that, that, his games. math's a little off there, but but still. Yeah, his point, math is way off. The point's, the point's made, though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you commit 64 turnovers in, a say, an 80-possession game here, it's going to it's gonna get ugly quick. Uh, but they did have a turnover percentage right around I – mean, it, was, it was a little above 25%. Uh, and they shot 30%. So that, <laughs> that, that tells you uh, how much of a challenge it was for that Texas A&M team. Yeah, um, Buzz is a, quite the character. I think he should be a politician because I think a lot of things he says he doesn't really care what he can, whether they would be fact checked or not, right? But sixteen turnovers in a sixty-two possession game. You know they normally play a seventy possession game. That's at least a couple more. I mean, sixteen turnovers in in any game. I don't. I don't. That doesn't matter what the pace is. Is 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 way too many. Um, they came into the game averaging fifteen percent. Had had a fifteen percent turnover rate. Uh, you know, per possession. So, um, you know, ten uh, more than ten percent above that rate forced by Virginia, compounded by the fact that Texas A&M only shot thirty point four percent. They were four of twenty three from three. Um, this is a team that came in averaging seventy nine points per game, seventy nine point three points per game. They scored forty seven points in this game. I mean, it's you know, all, all these numbers are astounding. This is a Virginia team that you know defensively. Uh, this is as good as as if, as we've seen a Virginia team play defense in in several years. But Chris, not looking, you know, kind of looking at the glass as half empty or half full, whether what perspective. Um, we haven't been this bad in rebounding, if I can remember, for a long time. At since, least since, since the Dave Lato era. Yeah. Yeah. When is it going to start becoming problematic? It already is problematic. I mean, it's already something that Tony Bennett's having to to uh, game plan around. Um, 
curiously though, uh, you know, when I saw the starting lineup uh, a few minutes before tip uh, uh, Tuesday night, uh, or excuse me, Wednesday night, um, uh, it, Jake Groves was starting at the five spot. Uh, you yeah, know, five that, guard lineup, right? Basically, yeah, he's a six nine three point shooter, uh, and 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 Ryan Dunn's a six eight you know guard. So, uh, yeah, and he was the four. If you want to say the power forward. Um, and so starting Groves uh was just the indication that hey, I'm just gonna go with what I got. This is what this is my best lineup. And and he he's you know, for all the critics out there who say Tony Bennett, you know, sacrifices offense for defense, he's sacrificing defense for offense. And he did it last year too. Ben Vanderplas is not the defensive player that Caden Shedrick is. Uh and uh he, he but he started Vanderplas. He wanted he wanted to space the floor with a, a big who can shoot threes. And uh and so he did that last season. Uh, Virginia won 25 games, got bounced in the first round of the tournament on a last second shot. But uh this year he's you know he could start he, he's got Blake Buchanan, who's a six eleven um true freshman who's who's played well in spurts, but he's decided he, he's apparently decided. I mean, if he's gonna send Groves out there against Texas AM. The best offensive rebounding team in the country. Tony's saying, "Okay, you know, we'll give up some offensive rebounds to the other team, uh, but we're going to space the floor with uh, with uh, Jake Groves, who scored 12 points in the game and had a seven point run late that uh, broke the game open. Uh, we're going to we're going to focus on offense and we're going to win the game. We're going to win games that way. More, more. So more Groves might result in less B- Buchanan or or Bond. It's got well. It's, it's certainly Buchanan. I, you know, Bond is is. Bond is an interesting, interesting case. He's a six-five guy, so he's he's too small to you know play in the post much. He's he's stout, but he's you know he's he's six-five, um, and so you know you, you, the way you can tell what position Tony puts a guy at, and this this is the trick for for the fans out there who you know maybe aren't into the nuances so much. This is an easy tell on offense. What are they doing on the offensive side? Are they setting screens or are they running off screens? Um, you know, Bond is still a guy who, when he's in the game, he's either a three, which means he's one of the three guards. He's either running off screens. Occasionally, he's still playing one of the four or five spots. He's still setting the screens, but um, he's a guy who rebounds. That's that's what he does. He, he you know, right now he's he's one of the team's best rebounders uh, per forty minutes. He's the best rebounder on the team, and uh, but uh, he's just a little undersized at six five to be that guy. So. And he, he his his limitation is he can't shoot he, he's not he's not a three point shooter yet his his jump shot goes out to about fifteen feet he's pretty good with he's he's really good within fifteen feet but he's uh, he's not he's not a guy who can who can make you pay on the perimeter so he's got to develop a little bit more skill uh, either as a perimeter shooter or he's got to grow taller <laughs> you're not gonna grow any taller so he's gonna have to develop the perimeter skill to get more minutes but but no Groves being out there at six nine. Uh, you know, he's God, you gotta watch. They they set those screens with him and he pops to the three-point line. You gotta be paying you if you're a defender, you gotta be paying attention to him at all times. And that opens the floor up for whoever he's setting the screen for. If it's Beekman or you know, Rody or whatever else, they can run under that screen and, and get in the lane with the ball. So he's uh you know, that's what he does on offense. He's a he's a much better three-point shooter, much better three-point option than Ben Vanderplas ever was. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, who's going to get the rebounds. You know, it's um, – Groves is going to probably end up being like a Sam Hauser. We hardly got to know you. Know him. Yeah, grad uh, transfer, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think this season, the, as the season progresses, he's going to be 
a really play a, a, a player that Virginia can relate to because he's not afraid of getting in there and mixing it up. Um, as we saw uh, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, uh, I talked to him a little later on after the, uh, even after the press conference, he told me that um, he didn't even know he was, had gotten cut uh, a cut that required at least four stitches and about, you know, Ethan Saliva uh, uh, probably deserves to be on a NASCAR pit crew somewhere because he, he put about four stitches in his uh, uh, upper eye in about 30 seconds. Um, I would say cut man for a boxer, you know, uh, yeah. that, that was, that's, uh, that's I, job, Tony right? was trying to equate who that was. And he was a, a boxing, a boxing trainer. And I think he was, he never did come up with it, but I think he was looking for, uh, was it Freddie, uh, Kuchinka? Was that Pacheco? His? Freddie Pacheco. Pacheco. Yeah. Yeah. I the was fight doctor, Freddie, Freddie Pacheco. Yeah. The fight doctor. Um, and so, so Groves is going to be that kind of player. And, and it, and right now, Buchanan's not. He's just not. Uh, he he needs to. Uh, Buchanan needs to spend some time with Mike Curtis. It's obvious. It does. That's and that's going to take time. Uh, that that's unfortunately that's that's not something you can even do in season. You don't just get stronger, you know, right away. It's gonna he's gonna need some time in the offseason to bulk up. I mean, we saw his one good his one really good performance was that Florida game against a really big Florida team. Uh, he had, uh, what, 17 points in that game, I think it was. He was 10 of 16 at the foul line, but he just couldn't – he couldn't power through the uh, and-one opportunities. You know, never – I don't think, I don't know if he even made one of the shots that he got fouled on. Um, when he strengthens, when he gets stronger, he's going to uh, finish those. Also rebounding. He's, he just – he didn't have a rebound the other night. I'm, I, I lost track of how many minutes he had. He was in low double digits in minutes, but he did not have – didn't have a rebound in the game. So – if you're going to be six eleven, uh, you got to get some. You're going to have to get some rebounds, uh, and if you're not going to get rebounds, you're you're wasting time on the floor, especially if you can't space the floor like Dunn can. So, um, so yeah, that's that's the problem right now that Virginia has uh, is is just lacking a a strong post presence. But but you know, Tony knew this when he was recruiting, you know, off the transfer portal uh, in 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 the offseason after the loss to to Furman, and I I just think. He's, you know, he's a guy. There's no Jack Salt here. There's no Isaiah Wilkins here. There's he wants he wants guys in the post who can spread the floor. You know, this is a new era of Tony, and it's it's you know he's he signaled it last year with Vanderplas. He's looking for more guys who, who are six nine, six ten, six eleven, whatever they are, who can who can actually do stuff on offense from the perimeter to space the floor for those guards to be able to drive under them. So. Uh, this is this is the way Tony plays basketball now on offense. It's it's very different than it was even just five years ago. He he he's evolving with the the way the game's played now. Yeah, yeah. definitely is. So what what are you um, what are your thoughts about Gertrude's red shirt being burnt and him now part of the part of the uh, rotation? Well, you I mean you heard Tony say it the other night after the game. Uh, it, this, he made the decision not because Dante Harris is on crutches, uh, sprained ankle, I guess, in practice. But I didn't see him do it in the game last week against West Virginia. So sprained ankle in practice, and he had a, a cast on, not, you know, a walking cast on his foot, and and he was on crutches. So it wasn't because of that. He said that, uh, you know, Tony said that just talking with his staff, they could see that Gertrude was healthy. He was very athletic. We saw the athleticism. Uh, he had a he got called for a foul that probably wasn't a foul. He blocked a 
one of the Texas A&M bigs at the rim on a dunk. And he, you know, six, three guy jumped up and blocked the dunk. Uh, you know, maybe the refs were a little astounded at his athleticism there too. And figured he had to foul him. There's no way he blocked that shot. The replay showed as a clean block. Uh, but, uh, and he skied for a couple of rebounds, you know, he airballed his one shot, but Tony even said he airballed that three and then he still had a big smile on his face. And he, I guess just because he's playing, he misses senior season of high school ball with that torn ACL, Boy, what was he like before that torn ACL as far as that athleticism looks? Um, he's a guy that, I mean, you know, you could see it. He's got bounce, you know, and that was his first game. Uh, he played eight minutes, four minutes each half. Uh, you know, Tony didn't burn a red shirt so he can, you know, just play a few minutes here and there. He he, he decided that he's a guy who's going to contribute. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what he does with his team uh, going forward. Yeah, and airballs was airballs seemed to be contagious Wednesday night. Yeah, Texas A&M threw up quite a few of them. <laughs> they, More they, airballs uh, than I think I can remember seeing one team uh, have in one game. I kept commenting, could it have been a depth problem that they just weren't used to the the, the shooting backgrounds or something? Because well, even the, and those cross court passes, that one that went like on the in the fifth row. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, that was a he winged that ball. That guy's that he he could be the quarterback at A and M under the new coach Mike Elko down there if he wanted to be. Yeah, the, you know, and maybe who knows? Maybe they didn't get in town for a shoot around. Uh, little things like that can have a factor because it is. Uh, you know, we've both been on the floor. Um, you know, and not just on the floor after games, but I, you know, I've been down on the floor early. Uh, it's intimidating that those stands are so tall and they're right on top of the court. It can be, a, it can be different. It's a different look than most arenas give. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's a completely different, uh, look when you're standing, when you're on the floor, like we have been, um, um, so I don't know. It's, uh, but I believe that Gertrude is going to contribute. You just think about what he was asked to do. He he didn't get his first collegiate experience came in a, in a high pressure game against a really good team. It didn't come uh, on a Tuesday night against Eastern Mennonite or yeah. someone like that. It came yeah. and he, he was expected to contribute right away. And I think you could see the athleticism, you know, he airballed, he didn't score, but um, that's going to come. And I think he's going to be a significant contributor to the to the to the team and probably be a part of that eight-man rotation that seemingly Tony kind of settles on but as the season progresses well you, you certainly hope now that the red shirt is, is gone that uh you know he's, he's 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 got a chance at least I mean Tony thinks he can contribute he thinks he can be part of that rotation so um it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward uh uh you know Reese Beekman had a great night uh on I mean offensively he put stats up 12 points five assists he was four of eight from the field but defensively, on Wade Taylor, the point guard for Texas A&M, who came into the game averaging 20 points, four assists, he had five – no, excuse me, he still has four assists. He had five turnovers, and he also only had nine points on two of ten shooting. Um, and Beekman, I mean, was not known by a lot of folks. He was a game-time decision going into that game with a knee uh, knee issue. Uh, and so, I mean, you go, you go from, okay, game-time decision, knee issue, wearing a brace on his knee in warm-ups – to he played 35 minutes. Uh, he's, he was the linchpin on offense with 12 points and five assists. And then he just, you know, held held a, a, a 20 point of the game score uh, to less than half a season average. Uh, that's that's a, that's a good night for a guy. Yeah. Um, considering that he was, like you said, 
up in the air whether he would even play or not. Right, right. So um, I don't know if we can move to Syracuse, but I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I think you've. I think you're going to have a preview up on Augusta Press, or you may already have. I haven't read it. So my question, and I don't know that I haven't watched Syracuse play. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. Is this our father's Syracuse team? It is with one. The only difference is Adrian Autry, who's the, you know, who was the longtime lieutenant, uh, you know, top assistant coach for, um, for Jim Beheim for, you know, how many every years Um, he uses his bench um, a little more, which is to say he uses his bench. (laughs) Beheim very, very rarely went to his bench. He, he, you know, played that two, three zone. Uh, as a as a you know, it was a different kind of defense, but also it, it allowed his team to, uh, you know, rest a little bit on defense. I mean, of course, they they're playing defense, but they're not running they're not running through screens and everything else. And so he could, you know, he would often, you know, as the season went on, he would limit his bench to maybe one guy, maybe two guys, but um, at, at least at this stage of the season, uh, eight guys are averaging double digit minutes for Syracuse, um, and. Uh, you know, they got a couple of interesting things. You never used to see this, Scott. They got two in-conference transfers. Uh, J.J. Yeah. Starling from Notre Dame is averaging double digits for them. Uh, and then Naheem McLeod, who was uh, at Florida State, didn't get a lot of minutes at Florida State. He's the starting center at Syracuse, and he's he's tied for the league lead in block shots per game with Ryan Dunn. Uh, and so the 7-4 guy, so it's, it's a classic Syracuse team. They're big. Their point guard is six four. They don't start anybody or play anybody regularly who's who's under six four. Uh, they've got a seven four center, uh, and uh, you got to change. You got to change what you do offensively when you play them. You've got to play your zone offense the entire game. So Virginia, you won't see the the sides offense. You won't see, um, you know, the typical things in terms of dri- dri- uh, dribble penetration from the guards. You've got to you know you've got to post somebody uh, at the foul line. Uh, use that person as your sort of point forward. Uh, and you've got to have your bigs uh, moving around, uh, you know, behind on the back line there. This is where having a guy like Ryan Dunn at the five spot is a big advantage. You know, you, you know, when you would play uh, a Caden Shedrick, uh, you know, he would have to get alley-oops at the rim. That's the only way he would score any baskets against this Syracuse zone defense. Uh, maybe a loose ball situation or offensive rebound. Uh, when things break down a little bit, but in the in your typical offense, you know a, a traditional four or five who only scores in the paint, that t- the zone defense takes that away. But you've got a guy like Groves who can pop around. They've got they've got to adjust what they do defensively to worry about him. So, long answer to your question, yeah, it's a, it's your it's your typical Syracuse team. Um, they're still figuring some things out lineup wise because two starters are transfers. Judah Mintz, though, is still the he's back as the point guard. I thought I thought he might have gone in the NBA draft. Um, and I think he might have put his name in the draft. I didn't pay close attention to that, but he's averaging 20 points a game for this team. Uh, he averaged 19 a game against Virginia last year. So that six four point guard, that'll be a great matchup to look forward to with him and, and Reese Beekman out there on the point. Yeah, I hope Reese is um 100%. He needs to be. Yeah, we yeah, need him for this one too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you talk about in conference transfers. In my early days of covering ACC basketball, that would never happen. Uh, it was I'm an unwritten sure. rule. I mean, I don't, I don't it was an unwritten rule. It wasn't. Like nobody did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, I don't. It, I don't think it was ever an NCAA rule that prohibited. It was just something the coaches kind of 
never did, I guess. But you uh, didn't you didn't poach the guys you played against. <laughs> yeah. Syracuse lost uh, a player, Gerard, I believe. Yeah. He's at Clemson. He's now. at Clemson. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's man, that's just. I guess it's college basketball 2023. You just never know. You know, it's like watching Brennan Armstrong, a record-setting quarterback for UVA, finish his career at NC State. I just still can't grasp yeah. that concept, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm I'm there with you. It's it's in yeah, it's it's definitely weird to see that. And and you know, Starling's a guy that was a uh, projected, you know, he he some people thought he might have been a one and done when he came out of high school. He's uh, he's back for year two. He was a freshman at Notre Dame last year, and he's averaging 11 points. A, I don't know. I think he's averaging 14 points a game. He's only shooting one of 18 from three. That's that's one limitation he's got. But uh, he shot 30 percent last year, so he'll he'll get better at that. But um, yeah, it's it's and of course Notre Dame's got a new coaching staff, uh, a new look there after all the years of Mike Bray. Um, you know that's a team we'll play later on in the season. So some new coaches, new new blood in the league. Um, you know, we're, the ACC is coming off uh, a seven and seven finish in the ACC, the inaugural ACC SEC challenge. I, I guess we can blame Florida State for blowing it for us. They had a lead late and lost to Georgia. Yeah, um, seventeen point lead with uh, under seven left. Yeah, and we we would have won it outright and said it set, uh, finished at seven seven. I guess that's that's appropriate. Um, maybe we can count it. We, we Louisville beat Bellarmine uh, this week, so. Yeah, the Battle of Louisville. <laughs> they once they came back from a big deficit and won by five at home. Um, yeah, so you know, I was looking at the ACC standings, or and I know it's early. We just now today is December first, so we we've gotten I call it the exhibition season, uh-huh. maybe out of the way. Although the games count, would it be a stretch to say the most disappointing team in the ACC after the first month is Duke? It could be. It's a, they got what they got a couple losses now. Um, yeah. I mean that's you know and and that's unexpected, obviously, with 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 that program and you know just like everybody else in this day and age, I guess everybody else is caught up to Duke. It used to be that hey, Duke's got all these new guys. They gotta you know they gotta work all these new guys in. Well, you know now 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 we all have new guys. Everybody's with the transfer portal got new guys. But I mean for 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 Duke. Um, you know, to have a couple of high-profile losses. I mean, you know, it's not like they lost to, to teams that are, uh, you know, that 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 shouldn't be of the caliber that can beat you. But you know, yeah, two five and two at this stage. I mean, you know, this is this is a surprise. Uh, and uh, especially the other night, I got you know when I say that, I, I they lost to Arizona earlier at home, which is at home. And they lost and, to an unranked Arkansas team. Yeah, Arkansas, I mean, yeah, who knows? Yeah, so I, I'll take that. I'll take a little bit of that back. I mean, that was a that was a tough environment. I turned that game on. That game was on TV after our game. So when I got back home from the Virginia game, uh, you know, I mean, Arkansas was out for blood. They 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 announced a record crowd. Uh, it was very lively there. You know, that's <laughs> this is why Duke doesn't. I mean, Coach K didn't schedule, and now you know is. Uh, you know they they still don't they 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 still don't schedule. Uh, Shire doesn't schedule uh, road games in in November and December. This was the ACC and SEC scheduling it for them. They don't play true road games until they have to play games in the ACC. So, um, you know they, they it's they they don't have a lot of experience in these environments, and it showed the other night. I guess is is what that is. So, but no talent wise, you know they they probably have as much talent as is they 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 were supposed to have, but they're five and two at this stage. So yeah. I'd, I'd put them in the disappointing uh, realm. Um, you know, uh, 
other than that, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot, uh, you know, there's the, the separation, um, I think is still there that we saw before the season. I still think the top four teams in, in whatever order are Carolina, Virginia, Duke, and, um, Miami. And we'll see, you know, who is, how that pecking order uh, evolves there. And I still think we're looking to see who can, you know, join that group perhaps, uh, or at least, you know, approach that group from the other 11. Um, wh- who do you think from the other 11 might, you know, be in position to, to make a run? Well, I, the team that gets all seemingly every single year, everyone starts jumping on their bandwagon is Clemson. And we uh-huh. all know that Clemson will go out 10 and 0, 11 and one. And then in January, when the meat of the ACC schedule starts, they fall back to earth. So I, I'm not going to say Clemson. I do think Miami is the potential to, has the potential to drop out of that top four. Uh-huh. Um, I, maybe um, I'm going to say as a, as a surprise team, maybe State um, could could challenge for that. I don't, I don't really know. I think there's a significant drop off after that first four, to be honest. And then, and I'm not sure Clemson or um, Miami um, is going to be, is going to be a, a team that can, I don't know. I think Miami is a little overrated at this point. Um, I don't know. What, what would you say? I would, I'm thinking state maybe, but I don't, I don't know if that's, yeah, State lost by big... 20 the other night to Ole Miss in the yeah. uh, ACC Challenge. You know, Clemson did, I mean, to their credit, they did go to Alabama and beat an Alabama team in the ACC-SEC Challenge. So, you know, they they are have otherwise played their traditionally pretty, you know, light schedule to this stage. But, you know, their their b- biggest win until uh, the Alabama win was when you look at Ken Palm numbers, uh, they beat Boise State at home. Boise State ranked 85th in Kempom. All their other wins are 100 plus. Um, Miami at five and one. Let's see. They lost by yeah. The I, the Miami game I had on some on Tuesday night. They lost to Kentucky pretty bad. The final score was 22, and they were down big most of that game. Uh, yeah, that game was over early. Yeah, they you know a couple of top well one top 50 win for them. Kansas State on a neutral court. Um, by eight points, uh, they beat Georgia. That's a top hundred win. UCF a top hundred win, but you know they they're they're you know, going to be missing Isaiah Wong, <laughs> and it's just no 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 ifs ands or buts about that. Uh, Pitt has a couple of, of of decent losses, no big wins. They lost to Florida by fifteen, a team that Virginia beat. I guess Florida's probably two and one in the ACC now because <laughs> they lost to us. They beat the heck out of Florida State. And I uh, lost to Missouri uh, in the ACC challenge. So maybe, you know, jury's out there. Um, we've seen Virginia Tech get beat pretty bad a couple times already this season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going down the list here, Scott, and I'm not seeing I'm not seeing a lot from that other 11, we'll call it. Uh, maybe maybe having and maybe having Miami join them and be the other 12. <laughs> yeah. So not to not to pour salt in the wound, but going back to Duke, I had a, have a friend that followed that. Um, Follows the the big four uh-huh. very very uh, extensively, and we had a conversation last night. And he said the concern in, around Durham is that Shire is going to suffer what um, um, Hubert Davis 
suffered last year at Carolina is the sophomore slump in that, you know, the lot of, there's a lot of, you know, the old saying is you don't want to be the man that replaced the man. And Sire goes in and replaces Chesky, who is still coming to the game, sitting somewhere near the court, which I don't understand that. That's um, and Davis replacing um, uh, Williams at Carolina. Um, I'm just wondering if that is going to have a lingering effect throughout the season with Duke. Uh, well, there's no box seats in Cameron Indoor Stadium because it's such a, you know, I mean, it's a venerated venue, but it's also a crap hole I mean, of, a, of a place. When you actually go there, it's, yeah, it's, it's a big old high school gym. So yeah. um, they don't have places. So if you're going to watch the game, you, you got to sit close if you coach K because there's nowhere to hide. Uh, unlike a JPJ, you can hide in a box. You can't hide in a box there. There's no box. Uh, the only there. box at Cameron Indoor Stadium is probably a box somewhere that an appliance <laughs> came in and they just haven't disposed of it. Yet. I mean, what they, they can sit him up. I think you sit him up there with the announcers uh, on top of the stadium. But... Yeah, yeah. And he's not exa- he's not really that tall, so he wouldn't have to worry about. It. I've been up there before, and you have uh-huh. to, you know that's not a place that you're going to send Jay Billis. No, no, that you know, there's there's airplanes flying beneath you up there. No, there, you know, there are issues right now. I mean, the, you know, you uh, kind of look at their their Ken Palm numbers. Um, you know, defensively, they're not as good. They're they're 24th in the country, but I mean, with the talent they've got, 24th, you know, is not going to cut it. And they're 14th on offense. Um, and uh, you know, so and and they're 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 not rebounding offensively very well. Uh, you know, they're not shooting the threes very well right now. So, um. And and they're inexperienced. It's an inexperienced team just because it's it's a Duke team. They you know they play a lot of young guys. I mean Jeremy Roach is back, uh, and I've all, I've often thought that Jeremy Roach is the best player on his team. He's a senior. He's been around for a long time now. That's very rare for a guy. He was a four star, borderline five star coming out of high school in Northern Virginia, and um, you know I thought for, for Duke to have a senior, you would expect that player to be a member of the academic team. Yeah, the GPA. Yeah, the, the GPA, GPA team. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, and he's. I mean, he was the best player on the team two years ago. That team that made the Final Four run, and uh, he's still there. So, but you know, I don't know that he's he's doing quite as much as as they would have expected out of him, given his experience. So, um, you know, you've got some issues there. Him and Tyrese Proctor. You know, the, 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 who's going to lead the team from the from the backcourt? Who's going to control the flow of the offense? Filipowski's back. That's a surprise. And he's shooting 30% from three right now. That's, and that's, you know, he's a seven footer who can stretch the floor, but he's shooting 30% from three. So, I mean, there's, there's issues, but you know, they've played a tough schedule. I'll give them credit for that. And uh, uh, you know, they'll, and even, even though, yeah, Arkansas ranked 45th in Ken Palm, uh, losing that one on the road uh, is not something that you want to, uh, you know, brag about too much, but that was a tough environment. I think you get better from those kind of games. And I don't know, I, I'm not, you know, the issue with Hubert Davis uh, in his year two was his year one was a, a mirage. They had that hot run at the end that got them in the NCAA tournament. Then they got to the final, the championship game, you beat Duke in the final four, got the championship game. But if they hadn't made that run to get in the NCAA tournament, they were going to be an NIT team that year. You know, basically his two year run is pretty much uh, just that one little stretch <laughs> that they had. Um and other than that one little stretch, they're an NIT team twice. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and it's, that's he can only live off that in Carolina, but so long. Yeah, he's – I'm looking at his numbers real quick. They're uh, 49 and 23 and then 6 and 1 this year, 55 and 24. But, again, that – gosh, that run, how long was that run? They were uh, 
let's see, they went from 18 and 8 to 29. They were 11 and 1 over a 12 game stretch from middle of February to, to April. You know, other than that 11 and 1 run, you know, those first two seasons for him, he would have been, let's see, take that out. They were, they'd have been 38 and 21. So that's, that's a, that's a pretty average team. I mean, they got hot at the right time, but, um, I don't know if I, so I don't know if I equate, I don't know if I feel the same with, with, uh, uh, with Shire. I, I look at, I mean, he's, he's still recruiting the players. They still have the players. The Car- issue at Carolina was that the mix of players, you know, the, a little bit of addition by subtraction, uh, with, with Caleb Love leaving uh, on the transfer portal, ending up at Arizona. Uh, he was their leading scorer last year, but he shot the ball so dang much. I mean, we, you know, you and I saw a scouting report that, <laughs> You found a scouting report on the floor um, in the uh, post game at the ACC tournament from Virginia. Uh, you know, we've—I don't think we've ever talked about that publicly, but you did. And this—I mean—the scouting report just basically said, "Look, you know, Caleb Love likes to shoot the ball, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he doesn't and make a lot of shots. Shooter. And he's not that good a shooter, but he really loves it. He—he loves seeing himself shoot the ball. So, uh, and so, yeah, that's so you know. That the, the mix of those players wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, they're fortunate that they got Armando Baycott back for another year. And the only reason he's back is because he's not going to play in the NBA. So he's a really good college player who, who's, who's game. Who started, it seemed like he started his career with Jordan and Worthy <laughs> and Perkins and yeah. Baycott. He played in Carmichael when he still had the flip scoreboard, you know, the little yeah, flip, the flip <laughs> on the corner. <laughs> I, you know, I watched the Carolina, uh, the North Carolina, South Carolina women's game last night. And they play they, they Carolina women play in Carmichael. And awesome. They, but they don't have the little scoreboard. I mean, that's the thing that they, they need to get the scoreboard back. That thing was awesome. That, that would be akin to Fenway Park taking it down the manually uh, operated yeah. scoreboard and putting a, a, a LED computer generated scoreboard out there. That's you can all, still have all. your big, you can still have your big LED crap all over the place, but just have that, have somebody sitting there with that flip scoreboard, man. That, you know, that's, that's Carmichael. <laughs> Um, so yeah. before we flip this the scene here and talk more about football, um, just for those of you in the Valley, and this is going to sound like I'm doing a pile on JMU. For those of you in the Valley that uh, want to go see a really good basketball game Sunday, JMU, number 23 JMU, plays Division Three Keystone. Yeah, that's uh, Sunday afternoon at uh, whatever their arena's name is. Uh, what is up with that? Playing a division that was Eastern Mennonite or Bridgewater unavailable? I can't, you know, that's that is an anomaly right there. I mean, you can't say that. Hey, we can't not a pre people. not a preseason game, not not a game that you would play in the end of October, but they're getting close to playing conference games now. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one is is shocking. Uh, that you play the, you know, VMI plays. They might play a couple of uh, D three games a year down uh, down in Lexington, but JMU's a program that isn't is is ranked. You know, they 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 weren't they didn't start the season ranked. They beat Michigan State uh, at Michigan State in the opener, and that now they're ranked. Um, that's like I mean, playing even scheduling a Division three school should get you should get some writers to not vote for them next week just because and and it's. You know, I, there, there there may be an excuse given from someone there. Hey, we, we have a hard time getting people to play us and that kind of thing. Which is, you know, they they won twenty two last year. They're in the top twenty five this year. Two years ago, you know, they weren't a, a school, that, and they, they're not traditionally a school that anybody's scared to play. So it's, that's not the issue. They're not 
an up and coming Gonzaga, you know, from back 20 years ago, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, this is just scheduling an easy game. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't understand why you even do it. I mean, you play these kind of games uh, in late, late October, early November before your season starts, just to get your feet wet, get your guys out there and, and, and playing in front of people. You don't play them to count. And, uh, and they do this every year. Uh, it, well, it's if you're going to do that, I don't. I mean, if you got to do that, then there's J, there is Eastern Midnight and Bridgewater, that just right in the same county. So, but yeah, but the Eastern, I mean, those Division three schools, uh, they don't, they don't, they're not, they're not competing in 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 recruiting for anybody that would play D one ball. It's not like there's guys out there. I mean, if you're going to play somebody, I mean, I, you know. I don't know. I don't know the stat. It comes to mind is Virginia Union. Remember back in the day, Virginia. I don't know what they're doing now. I don't know if Virginia Union is still a national power in D two, but if you're going to play one of these games, play a you know, play someone like those Virginia uh, who played at Union. Um, uh, guy who played for the Knicks all those years, Charles um, Oakley. Oakley, Oakley, yeah, yeah. Charles Oakley, um, and, and a lot of teams would not schedule v, um, no, VUU because they would get their clocks clean. Oh my God, no! Nobody wanted to play those guys. Um, but schedule if you're going to play one, if you're going to play down like that, play one of those. I mean, I, I think the same in football. You know, it, I don't know why we we're starting our season. We started our season. Oh no, we played William Mary midseason this year. I think we start with Richmond next year. Why we do that? Why? What, what's the point of that? Find a find a find an FBS, even if it's a bad FBS. But find an FBS. Don't 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 play those. Don't don't play those down. But Chris, games. we are a bad FBS. Well, yeah, that, we can't you know, play ourselves. Uh, we can't play ourselves. Well, there's but you can go. You can go and get an East Carolina. Uh, well, Vanderbilt has Vanderbilt. To play somebody. I mean, you know, uh, I have a feeling that the the reason we gave up the the home game this year to play Tennessee for the for the paycheck was that for that very reason. Yeah, is you bring in a Richmond or. A, William and Mary or VMI, and you're going to have a thirty thousand seat stadium. You're going to have thirty thousand people in the in the stadium, if that. So, well, but but Scott, we had thirty. Now we're talking football. Uh, we had we actually had thirty thousand. I know they announced forty two for Virginia Tech, but we you know a little birdie told us there were actually the thirty thousand. Yeah, the turnstile count was thirty thousand. So, which that's for Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's that's a major problem. Um, that's amazing, uh, and, and you, I like I like your joke about this every year. Your joke is always that's amazing. I'm, I'm disappointed in Virginia Tech for not filling our stadium up for us. You know, Tech should be ashamed of themselves. They, they only brought fifteen. The, the estimated count of Hokies in the stadium Saturday night, a uh, Saturday against uh, <laughs> was uh, about fifteen thousand. What's up with that? I mean, the JMU game, the home opener this year, there were fifty five thousand people at that game. JMU Nation came out, man. What's ha- what's up with Virginia? What's this Hokie Nation? I think your dad once said Hokie Nation, isn't it? Hibernation. <laughs> yeah, hibernation. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, one last thought on the JMU game. Maybe they were just trying to get that quad 10 win. <laughs> quad 10 win. Well, you know, and, and I don't know. We, we can go on a JMU. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. It sounds like we're doing a bashing of that. I'm not. No, but no. It, it, well, it is deserved, and I and I equally bash Virginia for playing. Uh, you know, they're playing played William Mary this year, playing Richmond next year. But uh, you know, here's here's another little flip. I'll throw at JMU because we'll, we should talk about this as we transition to football. Um, maybe maybe they thought that you know a sellout in this game would give them some more money to try to keep a football coach there. Losing their football coach, Kurt Signetti, it's not a surprise uh, in one sense. Signetti, 19-4 and four in two years in FBS, 52-9 and nine at JMU overall. 
uh, 11 and one this year. And, uh, but the issue being that his, because JMU just doesn't have the money, uh, his salary was $677,000 this year. He's going to Indiana at the bottom of the big 10 there. I mean, if, if there's a Vanderbilt, the big 10, they're a competitor for that title uh, there. Them in, in Northwestern would certainly be in the mix for that Vanderbilt, the big 10 and Vander uh, Indiana still was paying their coach. They just fired 5 million a year, seven times what JMU is paying Signetti. So in that context, not a surprise, but it's not good news for JMU that, you know, they're going to find another coach. He'll probably win some games and then he'll go somewhere else. Just like the other guys always have, have done in the last several years. Yeah. You got to credit Jeff Bourne because he's done a good job. You know, you, you, but as we talked the other night, when does he, the law of averages even out and he hires a clunker. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't. The last three coaches have been very good coaches at JMU. And in this in this era uh, with transfer portal uh, being what it is, and you can transfer and play immediately at your next school, that kind of thing. Um, you know, you have to wonder if if there might be, and who knows? It's it, we're we're as we're recording this, we're just a day after you know twenty four hours or close to twenty four hours since the news hit that Signetti was leaving for for Indiana. But guys uh, tend to transfer when their coach leaves. I mean, you know, I was recruited by this staff. Now there's going to be a new guy. There's going to be a whole new staff. I don't know how I'll fit in with that staff. Um, you know, maybe in some cases, guys will go uh, with their coach. You know, at least the key guys will try to transfer with their coach. They can play right away. They don't have to sit out a year. Um and and so that can be a factor in the near term, you know. Do they lose? Is, is there going to be a talent exodus in the near term? And then yeah, then your next guy's got to be able to recruit to JMU. Um, and you know, if the coach, if the head coach is getting paid less than seven hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, the assistant coaches aren't making a lot of money. So you've got a, a, a new head coach is going to have to you know hire some some up and coming assistants. Um, that's that. That's the challenge at a place like JMU. It's not just JMU. It's everybody in Group of Five, but you know it's particular at JMU because there's just there, there's no there's no money there. 80, 80 plus percent of their budget comes from student fees. Um, they don't have an alumni base that donates a lot of money. Less than it's around three million a year. They don't get a lot of money from ticket sales. They don't get a lot of money from from being a part of the Sun Belt. So. There, it's not like there's some you know big big donor out there saying here's how you know here's here's a blank check go find the best coach and I'll pay him. There's nobody like that at JMU. Um, they're they're there to you know it's 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 a it's a revolving door essentially there at JMU. Right, they're there to build a resume and and move on. I mean, and, and you know, I remember it. So I, I remember having a conversation about this with Dan Bonner many many years ago, the ACC basketball analyst, UVA alum. Um, you know, when he was, we were talking about the UVA basketball job before Tony Bennett got it. And, and, you know, Dan was going through with me a few of the possible guys. Uh, and he, you know, and I brought up that whole thing. Well, you know, Virginia, you know, maybe we're not at that point now, obviously Virginia basketball is a very prestigious job because Tony Bennett has made it. So, but at that point, maybe Virginia wasn't a very prestigious basketball job. It had been, you know, 15 years since Virginia had been relevant in, in college basketball circles since the Jeff Jones era. And, Dan said, well, that's okay. You know, hire a guy who comes to Virginia thinking that if he does a great job here, he'll get a better job. And if he leaves, he'll leave you in a better place than he found you. So that's what JMU's done well. Everett Withers was there for two years. I think he won nine games each year. Um, he handed it off to Mike Houston. Mike Houston's first year, they won the national championship. Obviously, 
whatever, whether it's put in place, Mike Houston translated into a national championship. Houston was there three years, won 14 games, two of the three years. He left to go to East Carolina. Kurt Signetti takes over. He goes 52 and nine. I mean, you, you mentioned Jeff Bourne has hired guys uh, that have won games. Uh, and, and those last three coaches, I mean, they've, they've turned it into, I mean, Everett Withers went to Texas state. Now he ended up getting fired at Texas state, but that was an FBS job. Uh, Houston goes to ECU FBS job. And now the best of them all, uh, Signetti goes to a big 10 job. So, you know, there's worse things than being a cradle of coaches, but yeah, you got to get it right. Because I was telling you this last night, Scott, when we were talking about this on the phone, um, if if Bourne gets the next one wrong or the one after that wrong, I mean, whichever one he might get wrong. And it's, you know, it's you can't get him. You can't roll the dice and, and, and get it right every single time. Yeah. Yeah. But if this if this next guy goes five and seven next year. I don't know that it's easy. It's easy at a place like JMU to recapture the magic. They've got magic working for them right now. They've got all these years of winning. I don't know if you can come back from one bad season at a place like JMU. That might wreck everything. Yeah, exactly. That's that was my point. If you if you hire the wrong coach or he just doesn't work out right, uh, your your magic may be gone and it may never be something you can recreate. And speaking of magic that's gone, well, that will transition to Virginia, right? Uh, we hired the guy two years ago that everybody seemed to want to hire. Duke. Duke ended up hiring Mike Elko because he was their he was their rebound guy. He was, all right, we didn't get Elliot, the guy we wanted, so we'll just go hire this guy from Texas A&M and bring him in to coach. Elko's now at, back at A&M as the head coach because he did such a good job at Duke in two years. And meanwhile, Tony Elliott, the guy that everybody wanted, uh, you know, he interviewed for the Tennessee job, says he was offered the job. Uh, other schools uh, considered him a top guy. We got the guy that lots of schools wanted. He's six and 16 in two years and, um, uh, you know, had a team go out there last Saturday, Scott. I have never seen a team more unprepared for any game, much less a rivalry game. And his first rivalry game, we didn't play Tech last year because of the the, the cancellation of games after the shootings. So, I mean, I just I – I've never seen a team look as unprepared for a football game um, as I saw Virginia last week in that loss to Virginia Tech. And I'm, I'm, I, I can't say I haven't because I'm unfortunately a little older than you, and I go back to the Sonny Randall days <laughs> – and I saw Virginia have a stretch of four games. Well, Sonny Randall lasted two years, right? Yeah, he lasted two years. Even even then, before Virginia was even trying to be successful in football, many people will say they fired Sonny after two years. We, we had went, we had we had standards even then, right? <laughs> we had standards when we didn't care. We didn't care. <laughs> uh, so I, I have seen. I would say equivalent, but yeah, as far as just being totally not only unprepared, but seemingly uninterested. Uh, that's that was, and thanks by the way, I'd almost gotten that out of my mind that the Wednesday <laughs> night win over Texas AM had pretty much uh erased that horrible Saturday for me. Well, that's why no, we started no, with no. basketball, because if we yeah. just started with football, we would have been depressed through the basketball part of it. So. Yeah, I've been going to look for some pills or something. Uh, <laughs> we went out and got into basketball. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, obviously there's not going to be any changes made. So now you just got to jump behind him and jump and, and support him. So far, 
and I know it's early, but is this a stretch to say he's winning the offseason? Nah, it's, 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 you can't, I mean, there are four names in the portal, nobody of, of significance, if, if I want to say, I mean, every player is of significance, you know, to somebody, but Justice Johnson is a, is a name that was competing for time on the offensive line, didn't get a lot of time. I don't even got any time. I should look at the stats and see. And I will do a roundup uh, probably later today, Friday, as we're recording. Um, Demick Starling is a or, uh, is a guy that you, you might have heard the name, the wide receiver, but he didn't get in the mix this year because, you know, there were several guys ahead of him, I guess. Um, and so there's a couple other names out there. No big names, obviously, yet, but um, you, uh, you can't really enter the portal until I think it's uh, Sunday night, Monday, you know, midnight, Sunday night, Monday, whatever. Yeah, Monday morning. It. Monday morning, basically. Yeah, midnight, midnight. Uh, 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 clock strikes 12 on Sunday night. It becomes Monday morning, and, and that's when you can enter the portal. Um, but that's what but, I mean by winning. I mean, there was some fear that we, the, the few players, the quality players that we do have, Robinson, Sanker, Malachi Fields, Calandra, excuse me, um, would would all be leaving. And so far, we don't see any evidence of that. So, but that, that's that be the, counted as a win? Just that we're the, retaining some of the players that we thought we might lose. That's the qualifier, though, so far. Or you could so say far. not yet. Um, until, you know, unless one of these kids puts on their social media that they're staying, that's the victory. I mean, if any of those names you just mentioned say, we're staying then yes, that's a huge victory. Um, but, you know, right now it's still uncertain. I'm still updating the transfer. I have two transfer portal links on my uh, saved on my bookmarks on my Google, and I'm refreshing them several times a day um, just because I don't want to see those names on the portal. Those are, I mean, Cam, the two building blocks for this team. I mean, if you have maybe three, if you, if you, I would, I would put Calandria uh, and Fields on offense. You keep that, that quarterback receiver combination together. You know, Fields this year, honorable mention, all ACC um, with with uh, Malik Washington, the grad transfer from Northwestern, who had 110 catches when he, uh, you know, he obviously we only had him for the one year. Fields comes back next year as the top option at wide receiver. Uh, you've got to have him. You've, and he's a big guy, 6'3", 220. He's got speed. He can, you've got great leaping ability. So he's a great target. Um, got to have him. And you got to have Calandria because – you know, Tony Musket is he's got one more year of eligibility left. He'll have that COVID uh, redshirt year left. But Calandri is the guy for the future. He's he's he burnt the redshirt this year. So he's got three years of eligibility left. You want to build around a guy who's going to be around, you know, next year and then two years after to keep getting hopefully getting better uh, as as he we, we saw him improve during the season this year. He was, uh, a, you know, a little careless with the ball at times early in the season the second after uh Musk had got the starting job back for a couple of games before going out with the injury again against Georgia Tech. In that three or four week period, um, you saw Calandri go from being a guy who was a gunslinger to a guy, hey, maybe I should throw this one out of bounds and have it be second and 10 instead of maybe throwing it in, in the other team's hands and getting intercepted. You saw a guy grow just like that within three weeks. Wait till you get an all a whole offseason, give him spring, give him the summer to work with guys. You're going to see great improvement of that guy. Need him. And then, you know, on the other side, you need Jonas Sanker. I mean, that, that guy came out of nowhere. Uh, he's he's one of the top defenders in the ACC. He had a 100-plus tackle season at safety, the first guy uh, to do that at Virginia since Quinn Blanding, who was a five-star recruit, got a little bit of time in the NFL after his time at Virginia. So 
Yeah, you it, it, the, and Cam Robinson, obviously, too. So maybe it's four guys, we'll say. Because Cam Robinson, if we had a whole team of Cam Robinson talents, that'd be a pretty good team. Um, and so if 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 we keep all four of those guys, yeah, there's something to work around for next year. And they uh, had a, they've had a couple of commitments since I think they had a commitment or, or two since the Tech game, I believe, haven't they? Uh, they weren't five star players, four but and, and, and prep players, you know, I mean, and, and Cam Robinson being, um, and, and actually Calandry too. Calandry was, Calandry was under the radar three star. Um, Robinson was a four star, the only four star we had last year. And you can see that those two guys were difference makers, but for the most part, you don't want to rely on your freshmen. It's, it's going to be recruiting the transfer portal, it's going to be key for Tony Elliott. He needs to recruit at least one quarterback off the portal. I mean, and we're not talking about a starting quarterback, just depth. He needs depth in that room. Um, probably some help at wide out, some more help at offensive line, um, yeah. and, and depth in the secondary. So, I mean, he's going to have to work the portal. Um, the recruiting is still 15th in the ACC. Now that there are 17 schools, or he, we're 15th in the ACC uh, in, in the two major rating services, rivals in 24-7 sports. Um, you know, whatever that, whatever value that is, I think there's some value to it, but not, you don't want to, you know, just say that's the only determinant of how good we're going to be. Um, but, um, you know, not losing guys, re-recruiting your own guys, going out and finding some veteran guys from other schools who are looking for playing time. And then, yeah, still, I mean, we got a couple of weeks to go before the prep, the first prep class, there's a December signing, there's a February signing. There's still some time to add some guys now. So, um, working hard now, but, uh, I got to say, Scott, I'm disappointed that there's not going to be any moves made on the staff. Uh, you know, uh, the special teams coordinator, Keith Gaither, he's also the running backs coach. I'm not saying, you know, get rid of him entirely. You know, maybe you can you can judge his running backs coaching uh, performance, his, his performance of his group there differently, but they need a new special teams coordinator. We're not hearing anything about that. And honestly, I mean, Des Kitchings, two years. You know, Virginia's offense uh, last year was ranked last in the ACC. This year it improved a little bit. I think we're, you know, the uh, still, still though in the, you know, 10 or so range out of the 14 teams in the ACC in total offensive scoring and, and things like that. So, you know, if if we want more of the same, uh, more of the same, you know, not good offense, then, you know, that's why we're staying there. It, it, that's, that's, it's frustrating to me that offense is a glaring issue. And two years ago, Bronco Mendenhall was pushed out because defense was a glaring issue, and he wouldn't fire his defensive coordinator and decided to just, you know, take his ball and go home to move to Montana. Um, and we're, a similar type ultimatum was not given on offense here. The offense is is what's holding this this program back right now. You know that that's the to me the, the perplexing point here is that I think I pointed out to you the, the other day on the phone. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, okay, yeah. who's obviously at the bottom of the pecking order in the Southeast Conference. After two years, Nick Howe, that ought to bring back some – Nick Howe, the defensive coordinator, was demoted after just two years. Um, a school like Vanderbilt, who's obviously not going to ever – have any aspirations of moving into the upper echelon of the Southeast Conference? That's how serious they take that. <laughs> and 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 going back to the Bronco situation, where we know that Bronco was basically given a mandate that he would have to replace his defensive coordinator. Uh, 
why hasn't something like that been handed down to Tony Elliott? It, there seems to be two sets of standards here going on. Um, I mean, and you, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't look at it any other way because yeah. I, I, I say that our defense, our special teams and our offense were just as woeful as our defense was uh, under, Bronco, uh, under Bronco in which he was asked to make a change at defensive coordinator. Special teams particularly. We lost two games this year. Uh, by le- by a score, uh, the 36-35 loss. And I'll bring this up. It just occurred in my head. Two ranked teams. We, we Virginia could have won games against two ranked teams if they could have just kept a punt from being blocked and returned for a touchdown. The 36-35 loss of JMU, JMU blocked a punt, returned for a touchdown. The 31-24 loss to Louisville, a blocked punt led to a touchdown. And, and we, we talked in the press box and we talked often. One blocked punt a year. Is all you should get. I don't. I mean, one. If you have one, one, it one be can be contributed to a bad snap, wet ball. You know, ball could be wet. The, the punter could slip. I'll give you one, but not only having two blocked in the in the in the same season, but both of them returned for touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just not that can't happen. Well, and then, I mean, and so then uh, the special teams factored in the loss to NC State uh, was on a la- uh, literally last second field goal, last play of the game field goal, uh, that the first field goal try by NC State to, to win the game missed, but there was a penalty on the defense for what's called leaping, Leap. um, which yes. is you're standing behind the line of scrimmage and then you run and try to jump over the line. We had that penalty last year uh, in the Georgia Tech game on a punt. So okay, that penalty should never happen. But it should it never happen because, happen because why should it never happen? It should never. It should never happen because it's a rule. And you, you it's know, a rule. But the, the but the special teams coach, yeah, has to know. Has to look, the his players have to know they can't do that. They have to be so. If you're, I think this one was. Oh, oh God, I, I think it was Josh Ahern. But so I hope I'm not throwing somebody under the bus wrong there. But I think it was Ahern in this case. So you, the reason you keep a guy back behind the line of scrimmage is you, that guy's there to protect against a fake. Right. So now I don't know. They're not going to fake on the last play, um, but that's a reason you do that. You know, in case they, they try to throw the ball downfield, you keep somebody back there, sort of like a spy, right? So, but you're back there. You can't participate. You can't run up to the line and then jump. It's just a, it's a simple rule. Last year's game, um, the, the punt issue that was a very similar one, it was Lavelle Davis. I remember this one. Lavelle Davis had one snap last year on the punt team, and it was that snap, and they tried to block a punt, and he was, he, he it was a leaping penalty. I mean, so if it happens once, it shouldn't happen again. That was last year, but still, okay, we, hey, guys, we've got burned on this before. If you're back off the line of scrimmage, you can't do this. We lost, so we lost, I mean, that's three games, and NC State ended up with nine wins this year. So it's not like we lost games to teams we shouldn't have lost to. Um, because of stupid penalties, we had that was our three chances to beat good teams that were blown by special teams. I, I, you know, it's, it's it's basic stuff. If if the if that unit is is lo- causing you to lose to an eleven and one team, a nine and three team, and a ten and two team, that guy's got to be gone. That's that's unequivocal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. To, to the question, if that ultimatum was given to Bronco Mendenhall two years ago, which we know 
right. in the media. We know that for a fact. And we're the, we're the only we ones that. who's reported it because we're the only ones brave enough to tell the well, truth. We know. I, I'm telling you, I know we know that for a fact. We know that for a fact. And Bronco left um, because obviously he's a man of principle. He also left millions of dollars on the table yeah. by doing so. Yeah. Um, why? Give me a reason that that ultimatum wasn't given to Tony Elliott. Yeah, I mean, you I mean, uh, we, what what what's going on there that that we, we, we what's, what's behind the scenes that we don't know about? We inadvertently pointed out that even Sonny Randall back in the 70s when UVA didn't care about football got fired after two years because even then a, a, a school not really that serious about sports said, OK, even for us, this is bad. Well, I'm, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that that that. Tony Elliott would be fired. Oh, um, no, no, no. I'm yeah, just yeah. suggesting why I'm, I'm asking what possible difference is it that nothing was. Nothing has been done to right? him that he make a change in special teams that was just absolutely horrendous again this year. Again, I mean, to be fair, uh, Bronco shouldn't have needed someone to tell him two years ago that he needed to make a change on defense. That 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 poor defense that year caught. I mean, Virginia had the number three offense in the country and finished six and six. It was because and it was because the defense was that bad. No one needed to tell him, "Hey, dude, you need to make a change in defense." <laughs> so when somebody did need to tell him that, I mean, you know, that became a contest of wills. But and and somebody, we don't know that if he. It was like two days after the season, right? Three days after the season was over. Uh or was it was it a week? In three well, he months? quit the season. He, the season ended on a Saturday. He quit on the following Thursday. Okay, so and he he first. We don't know what week. was going what was going to happen in the ensuing weeks. There wasn't a lot of time. He probably oh, would well, have made a change. We can glean, we can glean if he didn't if he didn't quit, he was going to make a change. And if he quit, it's because he didn't want to make a change. I think yeah. that's a that's a pretty fair assumption. Um, he wouldn't have quit if he's you know you know anyway. I'm, I was going to do that anyway. You know. But I'm now I'm going to quit. No, that that that's that. But that said, with Tony Elliott, he didn't need anybody. He shouldn't need anybody to tell him, dude. You need to make a change in special teams. He, you probably should make a change in offense, <laughs> but um, certainly in special teams. No, no one should. I mean, he's making four and a half million dollars a year to run the program. He should. His, his, his part of that four and a half million dollars is to be able to make basic decisions like, gosh, special teams cost me three games against three of the best teams we played this year. Maybe I should make a change there. <laughs> you know, and if it takes someone to tell him, then he should listen to that person. But, I mean, there's too many smart people over there um, to not have figured this out. I can't figure out, Scott, why we're still having to talk about this. I've, I've only been pointing this out for like a year and a half now because this issue first reared its head middle of the season last season with special teams and we still are talking about the same thing. And people are still in the same jobs. So still in the same I mean how important special teams is Frank Beamer built an entire program around special teams. And won many games. Won a lot of games. A lot of games right? special yeah. teams. Because he he realized if I put my best athletes out there and we practice things like blocking punts and blocking kicks, and if we he he he, he amended everything he did. He won. He had great defenses, great special teams. The offense just didn't screw up. 
but his his special his defenses and special teams gave their offense short fields. They had great place kickers. So if they didn't, you know, move the ball very much, they could still kick a field goal. Um, they only needed to drive the ball 40 or 50 yards to get in scoring position or get a touchdown. Um, and so, hey, I don't need my offense to take chances because I've got such a great defense and such a great special teams. And here we are, we're seeding one third of the game away with awful special teams play. I mean, the return game is non-existent. We had two punts blocked return for touchdowns. We we had so many shank punts this year, it wasn't funny. Our field goal kicker, I think, was 11 for 18 this year. You know, we, we weren't guaranteed if we were in the red zone that we were going to score points. Um, and so that changes your calculus on offense. I mean, basic stuff here, Scott. Uh, how many kickoffs were returned big? I mean, in that NC State game I mentioned, now there was the the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that led that helped with that kickoff return, but the kickoff got returned to the 50-yard line. They only had to drive the ball 15 yards to get to field goal range to beat us. So, I mean, you know, why does this only make sense to us? I don't understand. That, that's what I don't understand. Speaking of kickoffs, and I don't know, I haven't, you can fact check this or not, but I also read that we had the most kickoffs in the ACC that failed to make it into the end zone that were returned. And when you saw the the kid, I say the kid, the thirty four year old guy. Uh, no, I mean that's a great story. And uh, no, but he 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 obviously could kick it off deep, right? So what that told me was he was coached, he was instructed to kick it short, um, and for whatever reason, I mean, you know, we're trying to make them uh, return it against us so we can maybe pin them inside the twenty five. But when the guy when the guy wanted to kick off deep, he kicked it through the end zone against Virginia Tech. We saw the ball a couple times go out of the end zone. So, um, if that's not if you can kick it out of the end zone, you kick it out of the end zone. You don't you don't just miss it and kick it twenty yard you know to the ten yard line. I mean you know so that's that's a coach. Yeah, you kick it in you kick it out of the end zone and you're also reducing wear and tear on your special teams players a lot. Well, and we weren't good on kick coverage, so you know. But right. but no, he he didn't. He wasn't when he you know. And we this is with not just with with Matt Ganyard. It's with every place, every every uh, kicking specialist, kickoff specialist. When they kick it, when they want to kick it out of the end zone, they kick those line drives, right? Um, you know, because the more air you put under it, I mean, it's 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 going to be shorter. I mean, no, no one's got that booming leg. Nobody, no one out there anymore is Sebastian Janikowski, <laughs> the guy who he was like a muley kicker so far, um, but. You know, when you want to kick off in the end zone, you you the more more line drive kick, um, and dare them to return that, um, and then when you want to uh, uh, you know force them to decide to return it, you you that more pop up kick, um, and so you know you're not going to do the pop up kick and try to get it in the end zone. You you don't do both, and so I mean that's 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 a coaching decision. That you're not the, the kicker's not out there saying, hey, I want to you know, I want to kick it to the ten yard line, you know, or I can't kick it past the. 10 yard line. I mean, you know, that's, that's not the situation there. That's, that's a, that's a decision that's made. That's a decision that's made and relayed to the, to the, to the player. So, well, I, I know we're running. Yeah. We're running short. I guess the times, but, but I'll leave, I'll leave with this thought tomorrow. It's two weeks since the debacle. <laughs> tech. Um, the two, the special teams coach, uh, catching the offensive coordinator, they're still there. They're not going anywhere now. They're not going anywhere. No, no, no. Well, you're going to have to dance with who you brought because if you're going to make those changes, those changes are coming Sunday after that game. No, uh, it's only it'll only be one week tomorrow. 
You made me that's think right. two. That's right. That's right. It only feels like two. But, but it's still, like a... it, there's not going to be any changes. Man. No, they would have happened Sunday or Monday. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is just, again, I'm beating a dead horse here. It's just, I just can't understand how Bronco was basically ordered yeah. to make changes. Uh, uh, and on a defense, it was horrendous, yet there was no such uh, – apparently no such uh, instructions given to Coach Elliott on special teams. And uh, special teams is first. The offensive coordinator situation, now I'm not uh, – I'll give you a little leverage on that, but special teams should should have been a mandate. Yeah. You've got to change that. I mean, yeah. to me, if that's not – Done. Then somebody's not somebody sleep at the switch there. Even if you just shuffle positions around, keep Gaither on his running backs coach. Maybe re, maybe you don't have to fire somebody. Just just do what Vanderbilt did. Demote them. Do, you know, and, and that would change even positions a little bit. Change it wouldn't even necessarily be. A, I mean, it'd be a little bit of a demotion. There'd probably be a, a slight salary change. But yeah, maybe you know, throw someone else in the mix. Clint Sentum, Chris Slade, and even number of the other assistants could take on the special teams role. But but yeah, it, it, we're not saying fire the guy and, and get rid of him as a as a as a staff member. Just he shouldn't be in charge of special teams. And um, anyway, hey, um, for our listeners out there, since we are wrapping up here. Obviously, Scott now tomorrow will be at JPJ, 12 o'clock tip, Syracuse UVA. Also, tonight we have Scott Ratcliffe down in Lynchburg for us. Uh, Liberty uh, at 12 and 0 in football. Hey, there is somebody playing good football uh, other than JMU in Virginia. Uh, Liberty at 12 and 0 hosting the Conference USA title game. Uh, they'll play New Mexico State. I think it's it's possible a New Year's Six bowl bids on the line there. Uh, Liberty was. Uh, and I think they were 22nd in the CFP rankings this week. So the top rated group of five school gets a new year, six bowl game, and they could be in that mix. So a win and, you know, Sunday they may hear their name called for a big bowl. So anyway, we have Scott Ratcliffe down there tonight. Um, and we have Scott and I tomorrow in JPJ. So a lot of good stuff coming up for you here. If you have any questions, anything for the mailbag, any topics you want us to discuss on a future podcast, uh, please email me at chris at augustafreepress.com.